Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey everyone, welcome back to Friend of a Friend. It's your host, Olivia Perez. If you are a fan of Shark Tank, you have come to the right place today. As you all can imagine, I am a massive fan of the show I love the entrepreneurs that come in. I love watching them pitch, the creative ideas, and of course, I love the sharks. So it's obviously a tradition of mine to watch every episode right when they come out, and there was one episode that came out at the end of February that has dramatically changed the way that I work out. The episode featured a couple who entered the tank to present their idea, follow angles. They told their story about how they set out to innovate a pretty ancient part of athletic wear, weighted bands. I instantly related to the struggle. How many times have you been in a workout class where they've given you an old, worn-out fabric pair of arm weights and you've silently cringed yourself at how dirty and probably gross they were? In comes Bala, a stylish pair of silicone bands that come in an array of colors and don't hold on to sweat. They're also so cute, you could probably wear them out. In 2018, the brand does $260,000 in sales. In 2019, they do $2.1 million in sales. So naturally, every single shark is all over them and all had a deal for them. After a couple of really intense minutes of deliberation, they ended up taking a deal with two sharks, Mark Cuban and Maria Sharapova, for $900,000 for 30% of the company. The episode aired. They sold out overnight. Hi, I'm guilty of partaking in this. I can now say that I've bought something because of Shark Tank. And then came quarantine, where even the most unlikely of people, me, are doing workouts at home and wearing Bala bangles every single morning. Needless to say, Bala is on fire, I'm a massive fan, and I am so excited to welcome the founders here today. In this episode, I talk with founders Max and Natalie about the entire Shark Tank experience. I literally ask every single question I've ever wanted to know, and they obliged. They tell me how to perfectly pitch yourself and your brand, and what they're now doing with a $900,000 investment and two of the most brilliant investors in their back pocket. Here are my friends, Natalie Holloway and Max Kislevitz. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you guys too. I am such a huge fan. I have been working out every day with my bangles. So I'm so excited to have you on the show. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been great. I am not a workout from home person ever. Like again, day one of quarantine had to figure it out. So they have come in serious handy. (laughs) So I always start the show. Where are you both from and where do you live now? So I'm from Austin, Texas, and... I grew up in New Jersey, actually. I'm an East Coaster. Cool. I just moved back from New York. There you oh, go. cool. Yeah, I spent 10 years in New York. Yeah. And then we live in Los Angeles. But so what are both of your backgrounds? Yeah, so we actually met at an ad agency here in LA called 72 and Sunny in Playa Vista. Oh, cool. I know them. Yeah, it's, oh, yeah. it's a great agency. They work with a lot of great brands. Natalie worked on Starbucks and Jeep. I worked on 
Google and Coors Light. And so we worked Casual? on these major... <laughs> Casual name drops. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, no, but it's, it's important context. It's like totally. when you're working for a brand that you're sort of like a cog in the wheel and you don't even know how big the wheel is. You just know it's really, really big. And so Bala is just like such a breath of fresh air relative to those things because it doesn't take six months to make a decision. It takes six six minutes. It's probably the longest decision we've ever had to make. So yeah, we're, we're both from advertising and, and met there and fell in love and all that stuff. <laughs> I love that you guys met at work, got married, and then have also continued to have, like start a business together. I know, work together. Yeah, that's amazing. But also like probably comes with its own set of challenges. How do you guys, sure. like what boundaries I feel like are set? in terms of like work, Honestly, personal it's, life. It's like, life. we've had to work on that a lot because it's so challenging working with your partner 24 seven. And we have such different work styles. Like we are completely different in the workforce. Opposite um, and different strain. But we, I don't know, we've kind of like been better lately about setting boundaries and like, okay, when you're being edgy, I'm just going to walk away or something like that. So that helps. And then also we like, now we have daily meetings where we make decisions together versus like just trying to grab each other's time throughout the day, which is kind of stressful. So that helps. Yeah. yeah. It is pretty crazy working yeah. with your husband. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would add that you start to learn through trial and error that our strengths are applicable to certain things that we can then sort of divide and conquer on, you know, like a division of labor that's consistent with our strengths. So like Natalie is the front face of the brand with all our retail partners. I'm sort of more behind the scenes as it relates to like product development and things like that. So, you know, it took some trial and error to figure that out. But over time, you start to understand like where where your strengths are, are going to be most most relevant. That's awesome. I think it's probably, I would assume it's probably also maybe something that you would laugh at now when like, I'm sure it's like a funny joke for you guys to see all these like ongoing articles from coronavirus of like couples having a hard time adapting to like working from home <laughs> together. You're like, this is our Super Bowl. You're like, welcome to our yeah. life. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not easy guys. <laughs> but so tell us, where did the idea for Bala come about? What was like the pain point that you both identified and were like, this needs to change? So actually not all that long after we met and started dating, I would say maybe four months after that, on a whim that may have involved some wine, I'd said to Natalie, any interest in quitting 72 and, and traveling the world? I think I was just trying to kind of impress her at the time, but she actually like called my bluff and said, sure, let's do it. And so it wasn't two months after that, we'd only been dating six months. We actually both quit 72. We booked one-way tickets to Japan and spent seven or eight months traveling through India and Nepal and Southeast Asia, kind of getting to know one another on steroids. For sure. And it was actually in that trip that we conceived of the product. We went to a yoga class with sort of the intention of blowing off steam because, you know, long-term travel is really romantic, but it's also really hard and, and can be really stressful. So we're like, hey, let's get a workout in. And the class ended up just being far more like kind of meditative than we'd, we'd hoped and planned. And so afterward, we sort of said, hey, there's got to be a way for schedule-based workouts to make them harder or easier depending on your experience. Like sometimes you get off work and the only class available to you is an entry-level class, like 101 class, but you might be quite a bit stronger than that. So it was in that conversation after the really kind of meditative yoga class that we said, what if we were to bring back the wrist and ankle weight, but in a kind of 
more fashionable and more functional way. And that was kind of like this pseudo epiphany. And from there, we just kind of work day by day to make it a reality. I mean, I think if you are a fitness enthusiast in any way, there is like a very like visceral memory that you have in your head of like putting on a pair of ankle or arm weights in a class and like basically cringing because you're like, these are so dirty and smell really bad. And they're that like horrible, gross fabric material that like holds onto sweat. And this like the minute that I saw you guys, we'll get to Shark Tank. But when I saw you guys on Shark Tank, I was like, why has nobody done this yet? That's what we thought. We were like, how does this not exist? Like we immediately Googled it and it did not exist. We were just like, how? Everybody's familiar with wrist and ankle weights, but for some reason, like where they were ubiquitous in the 80s, like people just don't use them anymore because they're smelly and loose. Mm -hmm. And and so it was just like, we sort of lucked out in honing in on a product that everybody was aware of, but there wasn't actually a good version of yet. So we we set out to kind of create one. I think also what's what was really striking to me just upon seeing them from afar before I even had them myself is the design and the aesthetic. I think that besides the fact that, yes, we want something that like isn't sweaty and gross and smelly, there was also like a very profound aesthetic to an arm and ankle weight that like resonated with most people from the 80s of like aerobics and like dancing, but like this, like literally anybody could wear them. Can you speak Mm -hmm. a little bit about that design and the aesthetic where it came from and how the final product came to be? Yeah, I mean, well, basically... We knew everything about advertising at the time, but nothing about like a business or a production or anything like that, except for that Max's family was in the toy business. Like that was our first clue at like who to ask. It's a good start. Yeah, it's a good start for sure. And that helped us big time. But honestly, like it was Max. He has a very like creative design mind. Like he's always designing new products and stuff, new fun ones coming. But basically he literally drew it. He was trying to describe it to me. And I was like, you have to draw it because I don't know what's in your head. And then he literally drew it. He kind of like sketched it out. And then we asked his dad for any sort of factory connection. We didn't even have a product designer. Like Max just literally drew it out. And we reached out to Max's dad's factory connection and just said, Hey, here's the picture of this. Like, can you kind of work with an engineer on this. Like we're thinking silicone and steel, like we gave them the materials. That's like how it came about. So it wasn't like this long, I mean, it was a long process, but it wasn't really like, we didn't use like an actual product designer to do a CAD file or anything like that. It was kind of just like an idea in Max's head that kind of came to life over time. We wanted it to look like, obviously it's not jewelry, but like we wanted it to like look cool. Like you're in a yoga class and you see a girl wearing them and you want to wear them. So you're like, those look cool. So that was always kind of yeah. the way it came out. And I think just to echo that last point, like people are dressing up to go to the gym nowadays. You know, they're- It's a they're huge market, athleisure. At the gym, yeah. I mean, athleisure exploded. But why is it that when you go to a studio, the products that you're actually interacting with while there are just under-designed? They're sort of forgotten. It's like your outfit looks good, but like the blocks or whatever it may be that you're using it even more broadly at an Equinox or a Gold's. It's like, why are the products you're interacting with sort of under-designed when you're, you're trying to look your best and feel your best in that space? So the idea was, let's do something that's beautifully and simply designed. To Natalie's point, like we just took this kind of like wandering, iterative path to getting to something that we felt like really kind of spoke to that consumer. Back to even just the initial ideation of Bala, what was the first thing that you did after you both realized that you had even like a plausible business on your hands? 
we didn't even really know if it would work. We didn't know if like people would want it. And so we kind of just adopted this mentality where we were like, okay, let's, cause even the first year of the ball of business, like we had full-time jobs elsewhere. So basically we adopted this mentality of like, let's just take action steps each day, even if small. So whether that's like connecting with the factory or figuring out a logo or like whatever it may be, we just said, let's just take steps every single day to get somewhere. So I think that's... Yeah, totally. I would also say like a viable business is kind of a moving target. Like like the first target is create a product that you can sell, right? And then the next target becomes like... Can you sell it? Sell that product. And then, you know, maybe it's selling to retailers or getting press or like broader adoption. And I think even today, like the viability of the business is like ahead of us. You know, like we're not really celebrating what we've done so far because we believe it can be something even bigger and better and add value to people's lives. So it's a funny kind of question because the answer just kind of keeps changing on a daily basis. But I think that's a great piece of advice, especially for people that are like, the amount of people that I get reaching out to me, especially listeners of the show, are people that are like, you know, I'm working a full-time job right now, but I have this idea and I do want to chase this dream. What do I do in this interim time where I can keep my job and keep my stability, but also flex my creativity and try to get this business off the ground? So I do think the like little by little making some sort of move every day is a good piece. When did you both feel comfortable to leave your full-time positions? Honestly, Max, like we kind of kept it under wraps, but he only just quit like a month ago. Whoa, and welcome I to worked up until entrepreneur world. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's cr- like he quit way later than he should have, honestly. And then I quit like a year ago. So honestly, it was it's we were really conservative about it, which was great because we were able to bootstrap the thing, but we could have quit earlier because Bala was like we were in big retailers. It was like proving to be a viable business, but we just played it so safe. I, I would also add that like, you know, like starting a business doesn't necessarily have to be this huge leap of faith where you're like quitting your job and yeah. <laughs> leaving your family and like, you know, starting over. I mean, it can be, and it probably should be to Matt's point, like dip your toe in and yeah. just make sure that you continue to make progress on a daily basis. It, it's only when you stop pushing through those barriers because there's going to be unknowns inevitably. I mean, we deal with unknowns on a daily basis still. I only ended up quitting a month ago because Natalie was running the business and I was able to contribute each morning and each night to a point where we felt confident that I could also quit and, you know, make this a full-time effort. It's good to have a partner. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. I don't know how we didn't. Yeah. (laughs) Since you guys were coming from the advertising space, which I'm sure obviously brought a ton of value. Were there any resources that you used in the beginning during this time that you think are valuable for people that want to also start their own business, whether it's a book that you both dove into or an episode of Shark Tank or whatever it is that you found most valuable? I would jump in with (laughs) upwork.com. Sorry for the plug. It's just an amazing place to find freelance talent. Oh, cool. I've never heard of it. The gist is if you need something rendered in 3D, if you need help on brand and logo design, you know, if you need packaging, you know, whatever it may be, email marketing support, like you can post the job on Upwork and you'll find folks from all over the world. Wow, huge hack. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's it's a game changer. Honestly, the retoucher that we use to this day is somebody that we found on Upwork. Mm-hmm. And we have friends that have started companies that pay exorbitantly for retouching fees. Totally. And 
You guys are in the ad space. You know exactly what you're talking about. Totally. Totally. And, you know, we pay like very little. I mean, it's, we, we get value for that. So I would say Upwork was a huge tool coming from the ad world. We were also able to lean on some of our designer friends to help us kind of navigate the the early brand um, for Mm -hmm. logo design and things like that. Also, I will say, I know you, you just said Shark Tank, but it made me think of it. Like, obviously, in prepping for the show, we watched every single episode. And I would just like anyone starting a business, just watch every single episode. I watch like, them all learn. the time. If I just yeah, need... like you have if I just, lessons to learn. Totally. So if I have my numbers correct, I remember on the show that you guys said that you had done $260,000 in your first year. And then you had a massive jump to like $2.1 million year two. Yeah. That's Can yeah. you, which we, wow, I'm good with my numbers. He goes, that's correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the show. Can you speak a little bit to what you think, what you attribute that success to within a year? Cause that's a massive jump for a new business. Honestly, I feel like it was, I mean, maybe me quitting my job and having just one person being able to really drive the business yeah. full time. I think it was a little bit of that, but then a little bit of like a spiral effect. Like we got into free people in Bandier early, but then Goop saw us and other places saw us. So it was a little bit of like a spiral effect, I yeah, would say. We, but we definitely had some early adopters that we like have to credit with our growth. Like Bandier free was people. one that brought us on early. Melissa Wood Health to yeah. that list. I mean, like we we just had some folks that believed in the product early. And I think there was this momentum, you know, the, the old snowball effect when you're in free people, all of a sudden glamour wants to write about you. And when glamour writes about you, people are buying editor, a different then, editor sees it. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And there's definitely a, definitely a snowball effect there. So 2.2 in the second year, what was the decision to go on Shark Tank? What were you guys missing that you were like, okay, we need help here for people that haven't seen the episode? So actually, interestingly, we had a family friend you know, as folks often do when you have a business, they're like, oh my God, go on Shark Tank. You know, like- That's like the first thing people say. (laughs) Shark Shark Tank and entrepreneurship have like sort of become synonymous. Like they're they're one and the same. And on this particular occasion, when our family friend Nara, thanks Nara, mentioned that to Nat, Nat turned around and applied like that day. And so (laughs) to the point of taking immediate steps and just do it, Nat did. And we ultimately made it to- sort of the final round before filming, before we were unfortunately told that... Season 10. That we weren't going to be on. We weren't going to get filmed. And it was heartbreaking at the time. It sort of felt like a breakup where someone says to you, maybe we'll get back together. <laughs> and you're like, eh, well, we probably won't though. And so they actually ended up... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not laughing. That's really sad. Yeah, no, and, it, and it, honestly, it was at the time. It felt like a breakup, but they ended up calling us a year later for season 11 and the business had done, as you said, much better in that year. And so we were in a better position to be on the show and make the most of the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it went better than we ever could have imagined. I mean, I don't know if I believe in the outside forces, but like you got on an episode with Maria Sharpova. It's insane. I mean, like, that was our, she's our perfect, like, like she's our baller girl. It's yeah, it literally customer. could not have been better for you guys. So I'm sorry you had to go through the heartbreak, but there <laughs> it was, was worth it. it was, I mean, this was totally like, worth it. This was like right place, right time. I feel like, I mean, a lot of hard work to get on for sure, but like right place. And God, it was like that panel. 
Because I mean, you just have no idea who's going to go in or if they're going to rip you apart. Even really good businesses, they rip apart. So you have no idea what's going to happen. Since we don't have a business background at all, I mean, obviously advertising helped us so much in all of the ways of like sourcing photographers and designers and all that, like so grateful for that. But we don't have business backgrounds. So it was always in the back of our mind. You kind of like a lot of people, a lot of businesses like to really scale, they take on investment. And we didn't necessarily like need the cash at the time. And then ultimately we ended up needing it. But basically we just, we always thought about like, do we take on investment to scale? Like we thought they have the expertise, even though we have learned a lot along, along the way to truly scale, we thought it might be smart to take on investor. And then when Shark Tank approached us for season 11, it, it was a no brainer. I mean, it's not just an investor. It's like a cele- if we got a shark at the time, we were like, it's a celebrity investor who has existing relationships and all of the expertise in the world. So to us, it was like a no brainer. I mean, it would be a dream at that time to have a shark on board and believing in the business. Um, and then also we, you know, wanted to take on investment. So it was like a combo of that. Yeah. I, I would say also like the cash is cool, but like we were really after the consultancy and uh, you know, I know that people say that on the show, like, Hey, we're looking for. Yeah. But then when they're like, okay, I want a higher percentage. They're like, no. And that's when that drives me nuts. That's when you know, that drives me nuts. I'm like, you guys don't know what you're missing out on. Yeah. The value, the value is so there. I mean, it's, yeah, it's the value is so there. Yeah. I mean, they're like am- amazing to work with. And yeah, we wanted the strategic partnership of a shark. There's just so much that you learn along the way. You know, I mean, there's brand development, there's product and manufacturing, there's logistics. And having somebody that's been there, done that to sort of eliminate some of those unknowns or give you the shortcut to getting it right is just so incredibly huge. So excuse me for asking a gajillion Shark Tank questions. I've never actually talked to somebody who's been on Shark Tank and I'm a huge fan. And I also feel feel like there is so much value in understanding the process of it. I'd love to hear a little bit about how both of you prepped to pitch yourself and what resources you use to come up with the perfect pitch. Because that is the thing that I'm always most impressed by when people come on the show is their ability to pitch themselves in front of something that I would probably like be like dripping sweat and so nervous. Oh, we were. We I, definitely I, were. I, I get nervous just watching people do it. I'm no, nervous I'm laughing nervous now. I'm nervous about it right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I give you guys so much credit. It was a perfect pitch. So would love to hear so how nice. that happened. You do work with the show producers to kind of refine your pitch, but ultimately what you, what you pitch is up to you. So, you know, our angle on it was people are familiar with wrist and ankle weights largely because of the 80s and aerobics and jazzercise and all that. So let's use that as our point of entry. And we just, frankly, we wrote out a script, we practiced it, we, we refined it, and we did that maybe a, a thousand times before we ultimately did it in front of the shark. So like, oddly, the, the pitch is like the easy part. Yeah. What's, what becomes really scary is when they just start peppering you with questions, they're talking over each other. You guys did a really good job at fielding the questions though. It's so hard. I mean, really, it's, it's an hour worth of them like questioning you. And even though they boil down to five minutes, they edit it down. It's an hour worth of questions. And they're all coming at you and like, they say like, you have to control the room and it's, we were like, what are you talking about? It's just true. Like we had to like control the room of like billionaires because they were just 
asking a million questions, but on it, on top of each other. So it was just crazy. I don't think you understand how much like weird <laughs> satisfaction I'm getting from understanding that you, it's an actually an hour long. Yeah. Had no yeah, idea. An hour long. I mean, yeah. I really like blacked out, but yeah. I would, I, mean, I would, I would too. I would it honestly so. feels like it felt like five minutes. And then like when they start to offer you, it's kind of crazy because they're like doing all these like weird math equations and you're supposed to compute it in your head. And I was just like, okay, but you did it. Matt, I was going to say, like, you did it right. I don't know how some people don't even, like, if they're partners, they don't even communicate um, with each other. Like, you whisper to him, the I know. Whole time. And I'm like, yeah. that, like, how do, I always get so confused when I see partners on the show that are being thrown all these offers and then, like, don't communicate yeah. with each other. I'm like, did they sit down and write down every single possible outcome Scenario? of the show and, like, pre agree on it? It's amazing. I, it's, I always wonder that, too. Yeah. We, I, we when I saw you do it, I was like, yeah. I get her. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. like, yeah, do the deal. Yes, yes, yeah. I loved that. We did practice the pitch, but we also did what you just described. Is like we had friends come oh, over yeah. and pepper us with questions. Like we literally had them be a shark panel at our house, like yeah. a couple of nights before That's the episode. Awesome. So, yeah, I love and so that. We did we did a lot of scenario planning and like sort of role playing so that you know you can't really prepare for it, but we did the best we could. You know, because we recognized that it was. A, the biggest opportunity for our business thus far. Like simplicity is is kind of king, queen, and court when it comes to pitching, I think. I love that. It's yeah. good. Yeah, I've always been told that. I got someone on the show said something um, a little while ago where it was like, if you can distill it down to something that the person you're pitching to can relate it to, that's a good way yeah. to let them like visualize it in their own head. Yeah, that is, that's a good one too, for sure. So initially you guys had asked for 300,000, right? We'd asked for 400K for 10%. So equating to a $4 million value. And that actually is- It was undervaluing the company too. That's the thing that we agreed to and said, we won't take something lower than a $3 million value. So it's an interesting thing because you you think more cash, wow, that's great. But if if there's a disproportionate amount of equity that's tied to that cash, it might not actually make sense for your business. So like we did- decide that at the outset. Mm -hmm. And to Natalie's point, it's like when they're offering you this partnership and this money and this, their insight, all of a sudden what you decided beforehand kind of goes out the window and we just kind of stuck to our guns. And thankfully they allowed us kind of like the room to counter and establish what what we'd agreed to, Mm -hmm. but it's a frenzy. I mean, like they did give you the room to counter though. Which I appreciate. Yeah, because sometimes, sometimes they, they kick, don't. Sometimes they kick people out. They say, "Oh, you don't. You want to think about that? Then leave. My offer's gone." Right. Or they, yeah. yeah, they take their offer at the table, which really scares yeah. me. But yeah, I think the yeah. valuation valuation game is always a really fun, t- funny one to watch on Shark Tank because it's always like you're overvalued, and I honestly have not heard of a company come in and almost undervalue themselves. It's it's funny the, the we value, give them a deal basically. Well, the value. <laughs> You, you'd be wrong to think of value on Shark Tank as just the cash investment because there is value associated with our partnership. But and I think that's what a lot of people get wrong. Yeah. Like that literally well, right there that. underlined is what people who come on the show totally get wrong. Yeah, yeah. And we actually studied that and we noticed that it really pissed them off when you overvalued your company. So we were like, we actually want them as partners. We want to make a deal. So why overvalue it? Let's just, you know, stick to the... 4 million valuation. And then we ended up getting the three, yeah. 3 million valuation, but still it's like we're emailing with like Mark and Maria weekly. So it's, it's worth it. You guys also sold out overnight when Shark Tank aired, right? 
Yeah. I mean, it was crazy because right when the East Coast airing happened, I think we had like 3000 units on Amazon or something within like seconds. I was like getting my hair done for our party that (laughs) night on the West Coast. And I like clicked our website and clicked our Amazon and like within seconds, everything on Amazon was sold out. Like that's a lot of traffic and like instant influx. What did you guys do in that moment? What was helpful in managing all of that when you might have not expected it? We definitely had some coronavirus related production delays that hurt our kind of inventory preparedness for the show. So Mm -hmm. like we did sell out, but it's because we weren't getting the product we kind of needed to, to prepare. And and you, you don't really have any option. Like there's, there's nothing you can do about it really. And so we tried to make the most of the exposure by like capturing emails so that we could get back in touch with folks Mm -hmm. when we'd had product back in stock, you know, and just being as kind of transparent and communicative as possible with like all of these new folks, right? Mm -hmm. And you do get a lot of emails, some of which are interesting opportunities, some of which are quite strange. And, you know, just focusing on the customers Mm -hmm. is probably like the best advice we received actually from, from Mark and his team was like, you know, focus on the customers for now, everything else you'll have time to kind of weed through we were as prepared as we could be. You never really know what to expect. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's some companies that go on and do incredibly well. And then there's, there are those that, you know, it's a a relatively small blip. So I think we braced ourselves for big wave and yeah, just kind of managed it ourselves, responding to emails, fulfilling orders, juggling, you know, 15 balls at any one time, but trying to get through it. Yeah. I love that you were saying that you and Mark and Maria are emailing every week because I think that that's something that has always been a curiosity in my mind is like once you sign a deal, what happens? If you're a consumer and you watch the show, you obviously see those the like amazing recap videos where it's all of them Mm -hmm. being like, here's the business now and we're best friends. But like really what goes into that? And I was wondering if both of you could speak a little bit to what it means to have a shark on as a consultant and what that like sort of mentorship looks like on a weekly basis. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's actually amazing because even us, like for the due diligence process where they're like vetting your company before the deal actually closes, it's like, we were talking to like Mark's people and Maria's people, but never them. And so for us, we were wondering too, we were like, are we going to have their email addresses? Are we ever going to talk to them? And then turns out as soon as the deal actually closed, like we do, we got their email addresses and then we just started like emailing them updates and they always respond with like tips and great advice. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's like, I never would have expected it. And Maria has been amazing because, you know, she just retired and she actually was like, let's meet and chat about the business. So we went to like Brentwood Country Mart and talked about the business with her in person, which was amazing. We never could have expected that that would happen. And she has already been such an amazing partner. Like she did an Instagram live with us and just like is going to be potentially in photo shoots later and just like really good partner on the brand. And then Mark is there for like great advice. And they both have been just like peppering us with good advice here and there so far. So it's still so new, but I I am like very pleased and surprised with how involved they are. I feel like we made the right decision by far. Like the expectation is that you're running your company, right? You know, it's not as if you bring on a partner and all of a sudden you can kind of offload work to them. They're not going to do the work for you. But to Nat's point, it's like a, a tip from Maria or Mark because they've been there and done that, like clears the path for you to do what they've sort of advised, you know, and, and it's cool to have a dialogue where we're not just sending emails into the, 
into cyberspace, but you know, they, they get back in touch and are, are in the weeds and have been tremendously helpful, even in the, the short time we've been partners. You guys got $900,000 from the deal. What's the plan for the money? What's the plan for expansion? Where do you want to utilize it the most? I would say, you know, when we went on the show, inventory was our biggest issue. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we historically had funded our growth through sales, meaning we needed to sell product to have the cash on hand to buy more product. And, you know, when you do it that way, it's a, it's a great way to scale slowly, but there are limitations to, to how quickly you can actually grow. And so that, like with the increased exposure and the interest in Bala associated with folks trying to stay fit while staying home, inventory continues to be our big issue. So where we were, you know, needed maybe 50 to $100,000 of cash to order the next production run, now we need considerably more than that. So the 900K investment is primarily going to inventory. It's also allowed us to hire a couple folks so that we can be a bit more of a robust operation so that Nat and I aren't doing everything ourselves, but we have more resource to kind of navigate. So we have like a salesperson that is dealing with our retail relationships. Mm-hmm. We have a customer service person who happens to be Natalie's sister <laughs> that's working on answering customer inquiries. And actually, we have one more person in Erica who is Natalie's other sister. We hired both of my sisters. Yeah, oh. that's helping on the content side. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you're really working in close quarters. You've got your husband and oh, your yeah. family. It is a family. It's operation. a family business. I love a family business with boundaries. It's great. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh my God. If I worked with my sisters, I have four sisters. Yeah. So if I worked with four, that's great. Four total or five? There's total. five total. So I have four. Wow. Yeah, all girls. People think we're crazy for having three girls. So five. I raise you too. <laughs> I would say too that like it's. Yeah, how it's are you working with ha- all the sisters? <laughs> I know. He's always starting to uh, I'll pass on that one. No. Uh, it's, it's hard to hire people, especially at the outset when we've never hired someone. I can't even hire an intern. Like, yeah. 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 And in hiring family, yeah, it's it's super hard. But in hiring family, we know that they're going to be as passionate about the business as we are. And that's kind of the rarest quality. Like you might hire an intern that, you know, it's, it's effectively their day job, right? you know, but we're hiring folks that like fundamentally believe in the vision and kind of live and breathe the brand on a daily basis and are related to us. <laughs> Honestly, kind of a hack. I think a lot of people like stray away from that. Where like, and I've talked to this, talked about this a lot on a ton of episodes because I actually have had a lot of entrepreneurs and young entrepreneurs specifically that have brought in their family or like their siblings mm. as their partners. And I think that there is this like stigma of like, don't bring your family in. Like it can cause bad blood and you can cause arguments. But yeah. I do think that like, you know, if you, when you come from the same family, your values are aligned and that comes into your business life as well. And it's like, again, I said it earlier, vetting people is hard. It's really scary. Everybody's on during an interview and you don't know what they're going to be like in real life. So Mm -hmm. I agree with it. I'm here for it. I'd hire my sister or work for my sister, whatever it is. (laughs) Actually, one of the things we did really early when we did decide to, to hire sort of within our network. (laughs) (laughs) Within our network. (laughs) We literally just wrote down everything, like every kind of category of thing we needed to get done. And we just distributed those categories across the different people. You know, so like division of labor was like, you know, it's one thing with us because inevitably the lines between personal and professional will be blurred because we're married and we're co-founders. But 
with family, it's really important to kind of establish those boundaries Mm -hmm. so that it's not everybody running after the same ball, creating kind of like weird tension in that effort. Your episode aired on February 28th and within what I'd say 17 days, quarantine was like in full force for everybody. So not only did you have a national promotion of your brand, but you also were, I can't use the word lucky, but also had a pretty incredible timing where people are now working out from home and having to figure it out themselves. Even like me, who like I have never worked out from home in my whole life. I'm now like getting up every morning, getting on a yoga mat and using my ball bangles. Can you guys speak a little bit to, I know you said earlier that you had some challenges with production, but can you speak a little bit to the challenges that you're facing right now amid the coronavirus and also maybe touch on a little bit how you're balancing that confusing line of how to market during a time where you're needed, but also during a time that's particularly sensitive. Kind of have to be delicate with it. Mm-hmm. Right. We would much prefer that we didn't have the attention because this wasn't a global pandemic yeah. and people's lives weren't at risk, like without a doubt, case closed. Um, to the degree to which we can, we have tried to like break some of the tension and add value to the folks that are mm-hmm. fans of the brand through the workout series and through providing a product that like keeps them sane and fit whilst at home. So we prefer it wouldn't be that the way yeah, it is. Yeah, if you could but, change the circumstance, you, know, you would. To the degree to which we can, we're trying to help. Yeah, I and that. I will say, yeah, and we have, um, I think I already mentioned it, but we do have like other fun products that will be great for people's at-home workout gyms that are coming soon too. So we're just trying to like keep the customer happy basically, even though we're technically out of stock right now. And the workout series was was something that we planned to do like at the end of the year. And just given the circumstances, we called up the trainers that we knew and said, hey, would you be interested in doing a workout incorporating Bala to some degree to like give to folks that are looking for different ways to work out, you know? And so we're doing the IG live stuff, but also posting those those and other workouts on our site to give folks some some stress relief. Yeah. Yeah. By virtue of the fact that we are sold out, like we're taking this as a moment to kind of up-level everything we do across the board. So Natalie mentioned like new products. We're also adding features and functionality to our website. So on a personal level, we have a ton to do. Like we're just, we've never been more busy. That's um, amazing. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. It's kind of a blessing (laughs) to to have something to do basically. Yeah. I love that. What's next for you guys? Our ambition is to kind of continue to design products that inspire people to move in any way they choose. So whether that's yoga or taking the dog for a walk, whatever it is, like we want to just create products that people enjoy interacting with. So, you know, cause we fundamentally believe in kind of that power of movement. So that's what we hope to do as a company as things begin to normalize for sure. I love mm-hmm. that. What is the biggest tip that you have for any entrepreneur who wants to start a consumer facing business? Give us the advertising pro tip. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're going to have a good one for this. It's honestly, it probably goes back to the the baby step thing. Natalie has said before that, you know, no business was created in a day. It's kind of the journey of a thousand baby steps. And the only way a business isn't formed is when you stop taking them. And you know, it's like, you may not know how to, I actually read this on 
I forget where, but it's like, you may not know how to sell your car, but you know how to wash it. You know how to take photos of it. You'll learn how to post it on whatever marketplace you're ultimately going to sell it. (laughs) And it's those steps. It's like deconstructing the selling of a car to these manageable steps that, that get you there. I love that. So the, the pro tip is take, take the steps. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week.